just absolute nonsense. Oh, man. Look at us getting into, yeah, I see you shaking your head already because you know what's coming. We're getting into the nonsense of the Grand Prix we just watched. Welcome to the F1 Files, folks. We are doing a podcast about Formula One. Uh, The podcast. Yes, the podcast. The podcast. Uh, I'm one of the hosts. My name is Corey Willis. I am an actor, improviser, and writer here in Los Angeles, California. This is your other host, John Lapore. I'm a creative leader focused on designing the future for film, technology, and automotive. And uh, yeah, so uh, we're we're back at Monza this week, an exciting temple of Formula One racing to be at. Yeah, this was the track that you were going to go to. This it was going to be your birthday gift from from Gloria, right? That's that was Yeah, initially... yeah, she had in 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 the fateful year of 2020, mm-hmm. she had uh set up this whole elaborate scheme and an unbelievably thoughtful uh birthday gift also targeting my 40th birthday. Uh yeah. and, you know, None of those things happened. So the good news is I'm still 39. Uh, yes. Most importantly, yeah. and none of the uh, Italian Grand Prix or none of the the, the Monza none races. None of Italian history in general moved forward since. Uh, yeah, since no, then. it's. It's all shut down. Um, understandably, has has shut down. That was one of the first places in the world, uh, northern Italy, to be like, oh no, okay, we got to shut everything down. So let's just include uh, all of F one um, and all of the history that has taken place since twenty twenty in Monza. Uh, so yeah, this was a a race happened. A race happened, John. A race did happen. There was cars. Mm-hmm. There was uh, orders. Uh, you know, there was a, a qualifying session. There yep, was some practice sessions in there too. Practice sessions. There was cars and tires and drivers and things. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, if I sound a little bit underwhelmed, I would probably say it was because the headline of the race is that it seemed to be teasing us with some excitement and ultimately uh to me ended up being a pretty uninteresting unexciting unengaging race i mean there there's some there there are some fascinating things that unfolded and some cool things to to see but particularly the ending of the race was about as anticlimactic as uh as they come would you would you like do you do you share that sentiment Corey? I do, I do. It was it was a bit of an anticlimactic ending to the race, and with hindsight, I can understand why uh, the disgraced uh, Michael Massey was like, "Oh, I do not want the last race of this season that has been so interesting and so gripping to end up feeling like what we all felt yesterday." But that said. Oh God, I hated I hated how I felt yesterday. I hated it. And uh I I I there needs to be a, there needs to be another way. There needs to be another so way. So let, let's just really quickly illustrate exactly what, what happened at the end of the race mm-hmm. that left everybody um, you know, hanging, basically. Yeah, yeah. So uh, on lap forty six, uh Daniel Ricardo has 
uh, a mechanical failure where his he loses oil pressure uh, at their Lesmo as a series of two turns at Monza at the track. Uh, and in between those, the Lesmo one and Lesmo two, he basically has an absolute failure of his oil pressure system, loses oil pressure. The car is stuck in gear and he cannot move it any further away from the racetrack. Uh, it's, there's no real runoff there. So the car just sits there between those two like it literally turns. it can't even be rolled by the track marshals uh yeah. it's jammed in in gear a pretty in gear unpleasant, yeah because yeah because of these uh and most people who have cars and have purchased cars in the past few years are aware of the uh the sequential shifting mechanism that we have in our in our road cars uh there's a much more complicated version of that in an f1 car and basically if the thing stops in gear there's no way of getting that out of sync and back into neutral so that the car can be pushed forward or backwards so that's what we got to that's what happened it immediately throws uh, a double yellow waved flags and then we're expecting at least a virtual safety car and I think that that was like maybe the initial hesitance between throwing a f- virtual safety car versus a full safety car, but it ends up triggering one of the most anticlimactic ends of a Grand Prix that we have seen in quite some time. I mean, uh, maybe since like the total dominance of Sebastian Vettel, uh, like that yeah. kind of like. Oh, I'm not. I just wasted my Sunday a little bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think the key thing being that we're watching Chuck Leclerc get mm-hmm. close to via uh, a tire strategy start to hone in on Max Verstappen and get within striking distance of him before the end of the race. And mm-hmm. as the safety car comes out, it's like, okay, this is going to immediately close up the gap. And if there's yeah. any chance, we might get a chance to see them duke it out and battle just a little bit. Um, yeah. And so the safety car comes out. Both of them go into the pits and get fresh meat. And so it's like they're both in their most optimal condition imaginable. Cars yeah. are light on fuel. Tires are the stickiest that they have available to them. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, we're about to see them both let off the leash and and go for it. And they're not let off the leash. Sorry. And it's, 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 no, it's, it's, it's all part of uh, circumstances. This was just one of those things. And this is why I'm like a little, I'm okay with race control with the way that they handled the end of this race. I wish that there was a third option. I wish that, I wish that there was an option within the rule book that said, hey, if within the last five laps, it looks like we're going to finish under a safety car, we can throw a red flag and that will allow us to reset the grid, fix whatever problems there are on track or with a car or whatever. But unfortunately, there's no rule in the guidelines for that. So, yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, I think a lot of purist fans kind of poo poo the idea of like adding artificial excitement into the the race. But I would love the idea of, you know, within the last five laps. Yes. Red flag it. Do a standing start. Make it a hot sprint all the way to the end of the race. Like I would love which 
to is what happened see that. That's what happened in Baku. And that was this kind of like, oh my God, there's a sprint that can happen at the end of a Grand Prix and it can really make it look like really entertaining. And similarly to Abu Dhabi, there was a result at the end of Baku where Mercedes and Hamilton fans are probably like, oh, that didn't go well for us. But at the very least, there was action at the end of a Grand Prix that seemed like it was kind of getting away from us uh, as far as like interest. Uh, and that yeah, is, and I think a, a lot of other sports have this sort of like as you get towards the end of your competition, there mm-hmm. is this increasing, you know, tension. There is these last second opportunities that are kind of opened up and generated. And I mean, in in many other sports, you know, it's like timeouts are used to kind of yes. like reset things, resettle things, you know, and, and create that, that drama. So, I mean, or like I'm stop time, uh, like stop time in like in football, in, uh, in, in, yeah. in American uh, soccer and uh, at overtime and extra time in, uh, in American football, in, uh, in hockey, there is extra time that is allowed. Uh, and if, at a certain point, we get to a moment where we're reaching kind of our time limit of the game or whatever, then a shootout happens. And I think what a sprint would be is the equivalent of a shootout at the end of a Grand Prix. Um, there's also, I was listening to uh, the the race podcast and they were talking about maybe allowing five extra kilos of fuel that a team could add to their fuel load into their fuel cell. And then if there is a situation like this, extra laps would be added to the end of the Grand Prix. If your strategy was, I'm going to run light, then, oh, well, your strategy didn't pay off. But if people were aware of the fact that, hey, sometimes there's a safety car, especially later in the Grand Prix, if there's historically a stop that could potentially cause us to need more fuel, then you could allocate more fuel, right? And like it, it could become a much more dynamic situation versus uh, look if the race gets yellow flagged and then a safety car comes out within the last five laps of a race. Ultimately, it's probably just going to end up finishing under that safety car, right? Um, so that that feels like a dead end to me uh, as an F one fan and as like a fan of sports in general. There should be a way to resolve things. There should, yeah. Be. There, there should, and you know, I'm not exactly a, a Masi uh, apologist, but that's why I'm able yeah. to see him sweating under the gun at, at Abu Dhabi last year. Yeah, and you know, I again, you know, it's uh, I just come back to it. he just wanted one more, one more one strike more. at the roulette wheel, and yeah, uh, you know, unfortunately, did it in a way where it got him kicked out of the casino. Yeah, and, like kicked out of the casino so. and like banned from all gambling establishments, including like off track betting all across the world. Uh, <laughs> but there was one. So one more thing happened with this safety car situation and we can move on from like the technical part of it. But basically the safety car was there was a, a kind of a, a hold up with deploying the safety car just long enough for Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc to get ahead of the pit lane exit, which is where the safety car comes from. So what ends up happening is because Monza is like, it's not a short lap, but it's a very fast lap. So people end up lapping each other. If you're a slow moving car, you end up getting lapped, right? Like he was 
I think Verstappen was coming up on like lapping the people who were in the points at like at, at a certain point in the Grand Prix. So the safety car doesn't pick up the leaders and then the leaders get kind of stuck in the queue behind these lapped cars. So by lap like 50, it becomes very obvious that there's just no way that they're going to get all those lapped cars out of the way. And I think, again, at that point, it's like, okay, maybe we should red, there should be a mechanism where you can red flag the race with three laps left. So everyone can come into the pits and then start like a two lap sprint or whatever. Maybe it's uh, an added time or or whatever it is. Uh, But that could even be a thing where it's like we red flag the race and then we have the FIA go in and test and see how much fuel you have in your car. And then we allocate a couple extra kilos of fuel in order for the, everyone to be on equal footing. Like what it, there are ways that they could make this more of an interesting finish uh, that I, I'm, I'm done talking about the technical aspect of it now. Um, it's, we could move it's, on. It, I could talk it, about it nonetheless, me was super yeah. frustrating you know yeah. it, it is what it is but yeah it was it was a bummer because it looked like we were gonna see some awesome action and of course mm-hmm. the you know the other thing heightening the potential for excitement is the fact that we might have seen in the final laps a ferrari battling for first place and monza third place and third yes place. yeah signs yep. was he could have battled george for that third step on the podium so there yep, could have been a sure. double podium finish for Ferrari at Monza. And that is why we got that. And I, st- I was frantically texting you at the end of this Grand Prix because it was the most obvious version of them dulling the crowd noise because mm-hmm. Monza is the temple of speed. It has notoriously passionate fans. I think it's Monza and, uh, and, Japan are like the two, like the two Grand Prix where you have like the most ravenous fan base, uh, and the Italian fan base booed the end of the race, like fully booed it. There were radio communications between every driver, which is how this happens uh, at the end of the race. They like tell you what strap mode to go into, and if you need to like pick up extra rubber on the side of the track to get your car up to weight or whatever it is. Uh, congratulations, thank yous. And as Max is <laughs> keying in the radio to thank the team, you can hear over the roar of not just his engine, but multiple other cars around him. And like the chatter of actual Max and Christian and JP uh, uh, talking on the radio, you can hear the Italian fans booing the race result. Not not necessarily booing Max Verstappen, which Yes, they were definitely booing him too because, yeah. Oh, uh, they were booing Max Verstappen for, for sure. sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but the, I mean, if Max had won under green flag conditions, then he still probably would have gotten some boos when he was like announced yeah, it was, it on was, the podium. It was a general disgust with how the how the race came to a close, and uh, and yeah, and and you know, and, and of course also not a Ferrari winning. Um, and you know, it is, it is a shame because I, I want to, I want to take a moment to just say like, if you're new to this sport, seeing a Ferrari win at Monza at their home track at the, the, one of the single most historic tracks, uh, in all of formula one racing 
it is when the when a Ferrari driver gets on the top step of that podium at Monza mm-hmm. and the crowd have flooded the the start finish straight away directly underneath the podium. It yeah. is, I think, one of the most like emotional things in any sporting event that you can witness to see that crowd, that ecstatic. It is an unbelievably powerful thing to mm-hmm. to see. And uh yeah, so I think I think, you know, uh, even no matter who you root for, I think everybody always hopes to see Ferrari win at Monza. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, and I, yeah. I will say they did, they did have their own win of sorts at Monza, which was yeah. that they did not over the course of, uh, what was it? 40, uh, 52 laps, 53, something like 53 that. 53 laps, I think is the, the, the lap total. Yeah. They went 53 laps on a race day without any colossal, humiliating clowning of any yes. kind. Yes. So, bra- bravo. However, uh, mm, uh, mm, mm, I'm not giving. <laughs> I don't. I'm not giving it to him. Uh, so, uh, when the first virtual safety car was thrown, that was when they called Charles Leclerc into the pits to get fresh new tires when he really did not need fresh new tires. And that put him on the strategy where he was playing catch up. Ideally, Charles should have led this race and maybe retaken the lead after beating Red Bull on their pit stop strategy. Like that should have Ferrari kind of him. Yeah. uh, I think I sympathize with that. Yeah. Because the virtual safety car was surprisingly brief. Yes. Yes. It seemed to last for not even a full lap. And so I think he, you know, and he got a little short change. And I think you're right. I mean, I think even that strategy move at that point was overly ambitious. Like that was like, okay, you're going to really stretch here. He was the yeah. only person to pit. Like that's like kind of like when Hamilton lined up uh, on, on that restart, and everyone else changed their tires. Like, uh, whoa, dude! If everyone else is doing a different strategy, then you probably have it wrong. There are hundreds of very well-paid people all coming to the same conclusion, and you are like, I think I'm going to go my own way. No, yeah. that's not that's not a good move. I I, I don't mean to. I'm not going to shit on Ferrari too hard, but I do also want to say, as a fan of anime, I do love me some anime, John. You know that. Uh, mm-hmm. One specific uh, anime that I really, I, I've like sunk my teeth into as an adult is Full Metal Alchemist. And there is this, this moment, and I'm going to spoil Full Metal Alchemist, uh, I believe it's uh, Brotherhood is the version that I'm going to spoil. Or maybe it's the first one. Either way, if you don't want to hear the end of Full Metal Alchemist, don't. You, here's your opportunity to scrub forward like 60 seconds. But in Full Metal Alchemist, there is a moment where one of the characters realizes that it's not that like the people of the land that they're in are like cursed but it's the actual land itself that is cursed. And it just immediately, like as soon as 
the as as soon as like I saw what was happening, I was like, oh my god, this is the Amestris curse. This is like the the way that the way that Formula One has been cultivated and grown and nurtured within those hollowed grounds uh, of of Italy, especially like northern Italy, may have tainted their ability to actually be good and righteous in their victories like they just so what i mean by this is ferrari gets uh, a bonus for just being in formula one they just get a bonus they get like 600 million dollars every single year just for showing up as a team in formula one and that's been true for at least a decade maybe more like that it's a ridiculous purse it's called like the ferrari bonus where ferrari just gets money every year for being a part of the sport they also be nice it must be really, really nice when every other team has to literally pay to be a part of the sport. Uh, other than Mercedes, I think Mercedes and Ferrari are the only two who actually don't have to pay to be in the sport right now, uh, which is wild. Um, so there's a thing that Ferrari gets where they get the Ferrari bonus. Uh, and then also there are these like weird backroom deals that have happened. Like when Ferrari was doing very well and there was a controversy with like, are they letting some of their oil bleed into their fuel system? And then that's giving them like a, a better combustion rate. And that's why their performance is higher. And then as soon as F1 uh, got together with Ferrari. They were like, "We fixed the problem," and then would not release any of the details. And Ferrari's pace slowed back to everyone else's, and then they still got that bonus the following year. So, like, I think that, may- and also the fact that Ferrari's the only company whose road car is like it provides funding for the F1 and like provides like. Not the other and way around. Not and every other car company. That's like the reason some car companies will not be in F one is because they're like, yeah, we can't market our cars to the people who watch F one. Like that is mm-hmm. that's like a reason why companies don't get into the sport. Meanwhile, Ferrari is like, actually, we make our cars so we can be in F one. So it's this weird upside down thing. And when this happened, when the end of the Grand Prix happened, I was like, maybe this is like the chickens coming home to roost for Ferrari maybe like because they did so well with their strategy because their drivers had minimal issues all weekend maybe it's the land itself was like no we are ferrari and we need to bring forth pagliacci and pagliacci like crawled up through the ground uh and influenced something on that track to make Ferrari lose. Uh, I like I like the lens that you're putting this through, where it's not even just that like Pagliacci is Ferrari, but like Pagliacci is like Pennywise crawling up out of the sewer yes, to uh, yes. to pull them pull them <laughs> down. Uh, that's, yes, <laughs> that's Stephen King's yeah. Pagliacci. Um, uh, so so that, all right, so that's that's my like. I'm All right, fair enough. For that, so. uh, you know, yeah. For I, th- I think that's, I think that's fair and deserved. And I think it was, uh, it's, it's almost telling how bad their recent ups have been. That this yeah. medium scale, it's a pretty large scale up, but it wasn't like a triple extra large. Uh, went kind of unnoticed, I think, by by everybody watching along. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so what's uh, what else was a big headline for you in this race? 
I mean, Nick DeVries. Nick DeVries is the totally. headline of, of the weekend. And uh, a, a real quick, we're recording this Monday. I want to throw like a, a th- like not thoughts and prayers, but best wishes and a speedy recovery to Alex Albon, who the reason Nick DeVries was in the car this week was because Alex Albon had appendicitis. He went in for surgery. And then when he was coming out of anesthesia, there was a problem with the the recovery, which is not uncommon with anesthesia. And he actually ended up going into respiratory failure when they were pulling him out of anesthesia. Yeah. Uh, so he is, he's oh, okay man, now. I had no idea about this. Okay. Yeah. I, this is what I woke up to today being like, holy shit. Oh my God. Is he okay? Uh, and he is okay. It's not a common thing that this happens, that you go into respiratory failure, but it's not uncommon that anesthesia, you end up, you know, you're putting someone in a medically induced coma when you're giving them anesthesia. So there's always a danger of bringing them back out. And unfortunately, Alex suffered from respiratory failure. They were able to get him okay. And he was literally put on like a mechanical ventilator, which, I mean, this is just, uh, I get getting goosebumps thinking about someone being put on a mechanical ventilator in Northern Italy. That's just, whoa. Um, it just goes back to all, all the trauma that the whole world has suffered over the past couple of years. So yeah. before we like praise to Nick DeVries too much. I just want to give like, you know, uh, uh, thoughts um, and, and love and consideration for Alex and his family. Cause that's whew, what a, what a, what a wild thing to happen for such a seemingly normal operation. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, so yeah. uh, not to be an incredibly poor taste, but can we also send our, our thoughts out to Latifi Latifi, and, Nicholas uh, Latifi. Oh, Nikki. <laughs> You you lost your job About, this weekend, dude. Yeah, I mean, is that possible? I mean, I I can. He's like a pay driver, right? Is it would it be possible so. for the Williams team to chuck him to the the curb in favor of uh, of the new hotness? I think if this were back in the pre um, in in when when Frank Williams when Williams was still owned. Uh, by the Williams family, uh, and it was not being run by a venture capital firm. Uh, that is, it's Doralton Capital, I think, is the name of the company. Wh- whatever it is, that is a company that absolutely has like a, a broader view of getting a rate of return for their investment in Williams. And points matter. It's not just about like, can you get from 18th or 19th or 20th on the grid up to 11th? But if you can start to score points, that then earns you literally millions of dollars. And that is a return on their investment. So regardless of how much money Latifi might have be, might be willing to bring to that team, it's not as valuable as the points that that team could consistently score. Because with Alex Albon and Nick DeVries, they're clearly a mid-pack team. That is clearly a mid-pack team. And yeah. And George proved unmistakably, it too was, yeah. Yeah, like George was scoring points. George brought Williams their first points in that whole season. It was the first points he ever scored as an F1 driver, and Alex Albon has showed up from the jump and shown that he is a superior driver uh to Nicholas Latifi. No no shade, but it's just a simple fact. Like you're you're a better driver. And now Nick DeVries comes in and sits in the car for two hours and immediately so, scores points. So yeah, uh, Alex Albon 
gets hit basically overnight with yeah. appendicitis. Like and wakes up Friday he, morning with like a stomach ache and then ends up going to the doctor before free practice because he's like, oh, my stomach hurts. Uh, and they're like, oh, dude, your appendix is about to burst. We need to get you into surgery. So Nick DeVries is literally like, he's there. He's a, a reserve driver. He is someone who has been, uh, he was test driving because he's a Mercedes uh like reserve driver he kind of gets a spot in other mercedes backed vehicles so he was in free he was he was free practice one already um actually i guess it was free practice three is when nick devries got into the car uh yeah it was it was saturday morning yeah it wasn't friday morning was uh and the the comment that i heard was that he was chilling out having his like you know morning espresso in the Mm -hmm. mercedes um you know, uh, what, what do they Comfort, call it? Their, yeah, the, their truck, their, whatever, you know, mobile offices yeah. they have set up there. And he basically, he got called like, Hey, like uh, not you're, even you're, a call. I think someone came to him personally and was like, Hey dude, uh, we need you at Williams right now. Like Alex just you got know a how to fly one of these things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like they like, hey, come like, with me as yeah, <laughs> it was, it's the most, incredible like we're throwing you into the mix and you're a free practice you're a reserve driver you're a sim driver uh you're a test driver you have never driven a full-length grand prix in one of these cars so at the end of the grand prix like his mechanics literally had to lift him out of the car because his shoulders were too weak to pull himself up by the halo like there's footage of his mechanics, like yeah, they, cradling so they him out. So, of the car. and and what is that? Is that just he wasn't like because he's not constantly in the highest G force cars on Earth. He's not yes. doing that level of like physical training, and you know, yeah. I mean, he does conditioning and strength training for that. For like, oh, if I have to run thirty laps in a testing se- uh, series, uh, or or during like a testing session, I can do that, but. To run 50 laps of a Grand Prix when you're not used to those kind of G-forces, it's just, it's impossible to be, like, there's nothing that can prepare you for that. And Yeah, and, and, he, and I mean, yeah. it really is worth stating, you know, even if you're a top-tier athlete, if you put on one of these helmets and sit in one of these cars doing these G-forces, it rips your neck apart. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it just pulls. Like you can have serious neck damage. Um, like there's, there's a, there was, there's an interview with uh, Patty Award where he was driving for McLaren. He's like, at the end of my testing session, I quite literally like couldn't turn my head to look where I was turning the car because my neck was just so strained. And this is someone who drives IndyCar. This is someone who is like used to pretty intense G-forces over hours and hours, but he's he was not used to that intense level of lateral and longitudinal uh, Gs. Uh, but then there's also <laughs> the idea that like <laughs> Nick DeVries uh, is like this like very... Like, he's, like, fit. Like, you look at him and you're like, oh, he's, like, he's a fit dude. It's not that he's Mm. uh, weak or unable to do this. Um, But part of this was not just the fact that he went the full length of the Grand Prix, but going 46 laps and then 
relaxing all those muscles. And this is what he said. He's like, when that safety car came out, you kind of like relax and you're not mm. putting in those serious inputs. So your muscles start like lactic acid starts to come back in for recovery. So like when they restarted, uh, not even restarted the race, but they like trundled around for what was it? Six laps total with the cool down yeah. lap. So he was like, Oh, by the time I was done with the car, if it was one cool down lap, he probably, his muscles would not have been like atrophying and like going into cool down and recovery mode. So he would have been able to hop right out of the car, but just like casually driving around for six laps, which is with the, the miles of the Monza circuit are like, it's like a six mile long circuit. So he did almost 40 miles of just like casual driving after doing the most intense version of that uh, for 46 laps is like, yeah, I could see why he couldn't get out of the car. <laughs> uh, it was just funny to watch. Absolutely that, so. wild. Yeah. No, um, I mean, am- amazing. And, and, you know, uh, so amazing to see. I don't think we've even stated this directly. Nick DeVries finished the Monza Grand Prix in eighth place. Uh, sorry, yeah. ninth place, ninth, ninth place. place, ninth place. Yeah. Started it in eighth place, qualified for eighth, yeah. which was amazing. Now, granted, there's a whole bunch of other penalties and other things that factored into that. But yeah, let's circle uh, back he, to that in a second here. Yeah, yeah let's yeah. let's come back to that. He did finish ninth, which puts him in the points, mm-hmm. which means that his first time ever getting into a car that typically lands somewhere between the middle and the back of the pack mm-hmm. scored unbelievably valuable points for yeah. that team. Yeah. And uh what what was it? It's been something like, you know, 80 races or something to this point for Latifi to score his single point that he scored in the for the Williams team last and year, Nick not De- even this year. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Nick DeVries hops in first time out. Uh, gets a few points for the Williams mm-hmm. team, which is just, you know, can't can't underestimate how important that is to the smaller teams. Just any any number of points, you know, uh, could is, be the difference enormous. between so, no money and hundreds of millions of dollars. Like literally not yeah. saying like, oh, you get like 20 bucks or fi- like zero dollars or tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars. Like that's what two points can mean to an F1 team <laughs> like yep. Williams, you know? So, I mean, ugh. really, really special stuff. So what's, uh, what, what is next for, for Nick? Do we think there's a scenario where we see Latifi kick to the curb and he sits in that next seat? Is there going to be our other teams going to be vying think, for, for him? I think, and this kind of extends silly season, right? Like silly season is usually yeah. done by, like the middle of August. This is very atypical for the driver market to still be open like it is and receiving new people who could potentially end up in a seat, which uh, this is not F1 news, but Felipe Drogovic, a Brazilian F2 driver, just won the F2 championship this past year, had absolutely no relationship with any F1 team whatsoever. And this morning, signed as a reserve driver with Aston Martin and is now part of the Aston Martin junior team. 
So now there's someone who has enough championship points, who has enough, sorry, enough super license points to potentially end up in an F1 seat next year. So we've got Nick DeVries on his debut showing not only does he deserve a seat, but he deserves Nicholas Latifi's seat. Like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think that Williams was ready to give that seat up already because of Oscar Piastri's deal that he had where it was like, hey, we're going to probably give you a seat at Williams next year because Albon didn't have a contract that was necessarily signed. So there was consideration between Alpine and Williams saying, we're going to lend you our reserve and our testing driver for a full seat as long as he sticks around with us this year. So now I think that Williams was already kind of like, hey, Latifi, someone else is going to show up and it's either going to be Oscar Piastri, which like, no fucking contest. Sorry, Latifi, you're done. Uh, and now Nick yeah. DeVries, which is like, again, no fucking contest. Sorry, Latifi, you're done. Uh, so there's now almost no chance that Latifi retains that seat. I, I can't imagine a scenario that unless he ends up winning a Grand Prix, but even then, Sergio Perez won a Grand Prix for Racing Point when he was out of contract and that's what got him the seat at Red Bull, right? Like that is right. But that was only because there was a seat available at Red Bull. So there's definitely, there's no real place for Latifi to go. And also the racing point was the tracing point. It was basically a pink Mercedes. It was a mid pack car. The Williams is not going to win a grand prix there. There have to be so many things that happen for the Williams to not only like win a Grand Prix, but to even score points or maybe make a podium like or come close to a podium. So I just don't see Latifi with a seat next year. I I just can't see it. There are multiple options for Williams to fill that seat next year with. And again, no, I mean, yeah, you can take offense to it, Latifi. People who are more talented than Latifi people who are clearly just a more talented uh and not, it's not just about race finishes it's about developing the car if you have a driver who is not competent or not able to really make your car competitive you cannot develop a competitive car you can't yeah they're they're at that point they're a boat anchor yeah 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 so again i just don't think that latifi's going to make it um next year let's johnny let's talk about the grand prix we're deep into this podcast and we haven't like fully talked about the Grand Prix, which is kind of indicative of what happened in the Grand Prix. Uh, so qualifying, absolute show. These penalties, I get that they're necessary, but oh my God, are they making it hard to care about go fast day? Like qualifying day is like the most exciting part of F1, in my opinion. And it's it's been absolutely neutered by these penalties. What, what, do, you, what do you think about that? I- I saw an animated diagram that was literally shuffling around the names and the order just to try and explain, all right, well, first off, we're going to say these guys have back of the grid penalties, so we're going to slide them all the way back. Now, these other people have you know, time-based or place-based penalties, and so we're going to pull them down, but they go in front of these people, but then this person is excluded from that, and it was like the most complicated formula I've ever seen. And there was a period, I mean, I, I watched quali and I don't think we had the starting order for four or six hours after qualifying had finished. Oh, 
they were when they were on their reconnaissance laps for the Grand Prix, there were like reporters asking Red Bull and asking Max before he like stepped into his car to go on his recon lap to be like, hey, Max, are you starting fourth or seventh today? And he was like, I really don't know. Like it's the drivers have to know where they're starting. Yeah. And I know Max is going to win this race. I think Max was going to win this race no matter what, unfortunately, uh, for Ferrari fans. Uh, I think that that was an inevitability. He needs to know where he's going to be on the grid. Every driver should know where they're going to be on the grid when they finish qualifying or within an hour of qualifying being done. You can't have people on their way to their spot on the grid and not know where their spot on the grid is. Like That is just embarrassing for the sport, truly, especially if you look at the way that other motorsports do their penalties there the penalties uh in most other motorsports are very cut and dry there aren't like tiered penalties like yuki sonoda having to go to the back of the back of the grid because he got a reprimand and that is a more severe penalty than an engine penalty but hit lewis's engine penalty wasn't as severe as carlos's engine penalty like it just it made it made no sense the the grid made almost no sense and quite literally, the only person who actually qualified where he started on the grid was Charles Leclerc. The only person out of 20 right. drivers is the person who qualified first. And if Verstappen had qualified ahead of him, that means none of the drivers would have been where they qualified? Like that, come on, F1. This is getting embarrassing. I can't explain qualifying to most people on a regular weekend. How am I going to do this uh, when there's I can't even understand what the hell is going on? And it seems like the teams can't even understand. Uh, so that was unfortunate, quite unfortunate. But again, that's this is our sport, so we we got to love it and defend it, I guess. Uh, yeah, that was pretty hot mess express. Um, all right, so beyond anything else beyond qualify yeah anything else i mean it was a show so yeah i wrote yeah uh, it was q q3 i wrote king of the clowns uh is what i is it was what i took away from qualifying was just leclerc pole all exclamation points verstappen 10th back to 7th question mark and then i just stopped writing and just wrote the king of the clowns yeah, for for me, uh, I was uh, I was watching qualifying with my my buddy James and just saying to him like, "This is now now it's almost worse for Ferrari because the stakes are extra high when you qualify mm-hmm. first. That it's like, oh you yeah, know, then you're really you know you're you're not just going to trip on your shoelaces and fall down the stairs, but you're going to be like wearing roller skates on your way towards that staircase. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And conversely. We had Carlos Sainz starting from 18th on the grid, was it? Yeah, 18th on the grid and making it all the way to P4. So making up 14 spots on the grid. I quite literally at one point uh, wrote when he showed up uh, to pass Ricardo for fourth, I think. I was like, where did Sainz come from? Like, where did he? Yeah, I knew he was carving his way through the grid and I saw him make it to like, you know, like 14th and then 11th and then in the points. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, he's quite literally passing Ricardo for fourth. What? Where did this? What happened? 
Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was exceptional. And I mean, you know, going into the race, I thought there was a very high probability that we would see Carlos Sainz get driver of the day just because he yeah. would knife his way through the entire field. Um Yeah. He and Lewis both comparable, right? Like that was Lewis went from P nineteen to P five. Carlos went from yep. P eighteen to P four. And it seemed as though it no offense to Lewis, but Carlos did it in in a much he's, more honest he seemed way. to do it in, in the first and he seemed to do it a lot faster at least like yes. in the first half of the race carlos yeah. made most of his moves whereas uh hamilton was kind of pulling himself forward uh commando crawling through the field uh yeah. pretty much for the duration of the race oh there was something that was really cool about uh about the way hamilton approached this race uh cool and also a little bit like weird because it's like, oh, don't you want to challenge for the win? He knows he's not going to challenge for the win. So he said before he got into the car, he was like, today I'm going to work on my racecraft. That is what I'm focused on. Mm. Uh, and as as an actor, as an improviser, there is something that is supremely admirable about someone going into a performance of any sort and being like, my goal is not to bring the house down. My goal is to improve upon my own skill set uh, and set an intention and try and meet that expectation and really understand what it feels like uh, to just try to do my best. And my best is my best, not like the team's best, but not the sport's best, but my own best. Uh, so I thought that that was I mean, I was, obviously, I'm a fan of Hamilton, but there was something that was really like admirable about that. Uh, and that was before the race even started. I think Rosanna Tennant was like, oh, yeah, Lewis said he just wants to work on his racecraft. And I was like, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm really excited to see that. And it was also a kind of like tongue in cheek thing to Fernando um, because, you know, <laughs> Fernando said he can only win from the front. So he was like, I want to work on yep. my racecraft. Uh, so I thought that that was great. Uh, I thought it was really impressive. Yeah. Good, good stuff there. Uh, I, I never tire of watching any of these guys fight their way through through the pack and i mean you know as as frustrating as as it is you know uh verstappen was making some pretty serious moves straight out of the gate god Uh, he was up to he was up to third place uh he was i wrote down oh my god he's up to fourth place on the first lap and then i looked back up and quite literally scribbled out uh fourth place uh, and put third place because he ended up in third place by the second lap. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, that was. Yeah, he made it to fourth place, like in the first like handful of corners. Like, yeah, that was wild, wild. Uh, yeah, pretty, and Lando had ridiculous. a horrible start. That was part of it. Lando uh, totally got bogged down at the oh, start, yeah. uh, which was a really unfortunate because he and Ricardo qualified so high on the grid. Right. They were in third and fourth. And then. Ended up, and I mean, in general, I think just a huge bummer for Danny Rick for him to to have a such a serious mechanical issue take him out when yeah. he was deep into the points. Yeah, yeah, like doing real well. Uh, I mean, yeah, he was what fifth when he retired, or or was it? Uh, he was I think between it was, Sergio I think it was six, but he was he was also ahead of his own teammate. Well, I think he was. It was him between Sergio and Lewis, which was another thing because Lewis ended up staying out uh, 
and like there was this moment of like, why is Mercedes keeping him out on those older tires when everyone else around him was getting fresher tires? Lewis knew and the team knew that if they had pitted, he would have then had to go behind Perez and he would have lost that position in the race. And if the race was going to go as they predicted, as it should have gone by the rules, he never would have had the opportunity to get that place back. And it paid off, right? This is mm-hmm. this was the Abu Dhabi strategy. This is what they did in Abu Dhabi because they expected the rules to be played out the way that they were. And then they weren't. Uh, and that's what we got last year. But this year, the rules played out exactly as they were supposed to play out. And I have to say, as a Hamilton fan, yes, I'm glad that he that the rules worked out the way that they did. Uh, I, I can be consistent in this where I'm like, actually, if, if they had done this in Abu Dhabi, then Lewis would have won that race and won the championship and it would have been the right thing to do. Yeah, sure. It would have been boring as hell to watch the championship finish that way, but it would have been the right way to finish the championship. Uh, just like this race, as much as I didn't want to see it finish behind the safety car, it was the right thing to do. There were people literally on track. There was a crane on track. We couldn't have them. We couldn't just so, have a local yellow in that moment. I mean, sorry. to, to I'll, that I'll, effect. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. To, to that effect, the while the crane was out on track, there was someone that came in off the off the line, mm-hmm. coming. I, I I forget who it was, but there was one car that looked like they were almost like attempting a pass. And so they were offline and they were headed straight towards that that construction vehicle that's lifting the car off the track. Yeah, which we that was kind of appalling to uh to see yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of why people were like, well, the flag the the race should have been red flagged. And again, this is all about rules. They can only red flag the race if there's damage to the track or damage to the safety infrastructure around the track. You can't red flag a race for a car being on track. That's just not in the rule books. You're not allowed to throw that red flag. You're also supposed to throw a red flag if there is a construction vehicle on uh, on the track. And that is where there's like, hey, you did have a crane on track. Yeah. So technically, you could have thrown that red flag. Technically, and also for safety's sake, like you just said. Anyone who hasn't been a part of this sport for the past few years missed out on the most horrific thing that has happened in, uh, in this sport in the past few years, which is the death of Jules Bianchi. Uh, and that was caused by a construction vehicle. And by keeping the cars on track and allowing them to continue at pace when there were construction vehicles uh, on track. And totally different set of circumstances, right? I I get that. But not really. (laughs) It was just raining in Japan. Uh, That was the difference, right? Um, The reason that construction vehicle was where it was was to remove a car that had gone off the track, uh, had gone, had stopped on the race course, let's say, Uh, because it wasn't technically on the track anymore. It was off the track. It was on the course, though. So they literally had a f***ing crane on the track between those white lines and they left those cars going even though they were behind, they were a double yellow and then a safety car. Ah, that felt bad. I felt dangerous. Um, anyways, uh, so yeah, we felt bad for Danny Ricardo. We do, we do feel bad for him uh, for a bunch of different reasons, including... I mean, I'll say I feel extra bad for him because I think any anywhere that 
Danny might still be able to end up in F1, there's a good chance that Nick DeVries is going to be in line in front of him now. Yeah, yeah. Especially with that performance, you just can't imagine. I can't imagine that he won't be. But that was also, maybe this does open the door for Danny Ricardo to be a reserve driver at Mercedes, because if DeVries gets called to Williams, that does open up that reserve driver uh, spot. So there's, uh, what's, uh, um, Van Dorn is the other one. He's the other reserve driver for Mercedes. So that would open up a slot for maybe Danny Ricardo to stay in F1. But Danny also said, he's like, I think I'm going to take a year off. Like, and he should. I think Danny Ricardo deserves a year off, uh, and it will be good for him. He's one of the few people who will stay active uh, and stay in motorsport, even if it is just racing dirt bikes uh, on his farm in Australia. Like he will stay fit and stay engaged, even if he does take a year off. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anything else happen uh, that really kind of caught your attention in the Grand Prix? I mean, I know it was kind of a boring race, unfortunately, um, but... Yeah, I mean, for for me, it was all about seeing Nick DeVries, you know, jump in ice cold and and yeah. crush it and, uh, and otherwise just, you know, uh, got to figure out how we can reset these races so that we don't lose out on some some really fun action. And I think you had, you know, uh, I forget the exact sentiment of your, your tweet that you had put out there, but it was just like, yeah, uh, kind of, you know, a race like this reminds me of Mm -hmm. many races that we've seen in the past. And, and I think there's a degree to which we are almost spoiled by how excellent the competitive racing has been in the last few seasons. Yeah. I can't, but I'd like it to stay there, you know? When was the last race that finished under uh, under caution like this? Uh, it, it wasn't that long ago. If it didn't happen at all in 2022, it must or in 2021, it must have happened in 2020. If not 19, it's it's not it's not like a blue moon scenario that that happens. It does uh, it think, does unfold. But if you haven't been watching the sport for more than five years, then I think more than five years ago, it was like, oh, yeah, I mean, it was like every other season we would get a race that would finish under caution. Oh, I guess that they did finish under caution at Spa, technically, technically, the Grand Prix that never should have happened. Uh, Not this year, the one last year where Russell qualified at second uh, and then finished behind finished behind the safety car after like the minimum number of laps or whatever. Okay, so. Uh, there were a couple other radio communications that happened during this race that kind of caught my attention. Uh, one was after uh, Lewis finished up his laps where he ended up passing a whole bunch of cars. Uh, I, I don't remember specifically which lap it was. Uh, maybe it was like lap 39 or 40 or something like that. And uh, Bono comes back over the radio and it's just like... Uh, it was a busy couple of laps, <laughs> uh, which is like great. Yeah, it was like a uh, busy couple of laps there. Good job. Uh, and that was just such a perfect British way of being like, mm-hmm. wow, you really crushed it, but I'm not going to gas you up. That was very, very funny to me. And then one other radio communication that came through that like made my f- blood boil was Leclerc's engineer comes over the line like, oh, yeah. 
early, like pretty early in the Grand Prix, and is like, "Hey, could you stop short shifting in the corners?" It's like, "What do you? What is? Are we really experiencing like an issue with a Ferrari power unit right now? What is happening?" And yeah, they're asking that they had him stop short shifting in the corners because it was causing the engine to heat up a little bit too much by using the engine braking by short shifting. Uh, so that uh, or using the engine to like spin up the turbo, basically, I guess is what short shifting does in in F one. I don't know. I wish I knew all the technical nonsense, but I don't. And that was just like a hey. The Grand Prix is not even half over. Could you please not immediately handcuff or, or tie your driver's hand behind his back who's leading the Grand Prix? Ugh. Yeah. Anything else uh, pop out uh, radio-wise or any sort of communications or, or slip-ups? Yeah, there was there was one, and I forget what the exact sentiment of it was, but it was the engineer talking to Leclerc and just running like the entire strategy down for him and not in any sort of like abbreviated, easy to communicate sort of way. But it was like they do the closed caption on the side of the screen. It was like four sentences in a row. And of course it ended with like, is that okay with you? Which again is just this other, you know, signifier of the team is so unsure of their own strategy that they, you know, they feel they have to clear it with the drivers uh, in, in advance. It's uh, there was also, Yeah, there was something that was said uh, about that where they were asking, someone asked Matea, um, like, why are you, what is this? This sounds very uncertain over the radio when you are giving them like strategy calls and then kind of leaving it up to the drivers. Uh, And that was just something, I guess, that in like a meeting in one of the the breakdowns or or one of the, the race debriefs. I guess Carlos and Charles were like, hey, we need to know all of our options. We need to know what you're looking at. It, it, so it's not about them questioning the drivers. It's the drivers being like, we want to know all of our options. And that makes that does make good sense uh, because Charles and Carlos, to a greater extent, can kind of engineer their own races. Like that is definitely something that, I think before the crackdown on radio communications, you would hear Lewis and Bono going back and forth and like intricately discussing race strategy, in race strategy, pit stop strategies. Uh, And that is something I think that the best drivers are good at managing their own race when they're able to consult directly with their engineer. Uh, And I Mm -hmm. think maybe part of this is also saying the full race strategy for both drivers so that both sets of engineers, both sides of the garage can hear what the other person is doing and the other options that the other driver is having. So it does sound like uncertainty, but the cover that uh, Bonato gave was, no, this is just in the interest of transparency that every so that everyone on the team knows what is going on with our strategy and what the options are, which it's like, hey, Shouldn't you have that in your meeting before the, like, why is it being rediscussed on open comms while they're trying to race their cars? Uh, Yeah, it was a little frustrating, a little upsetting. Yeah, uh, but but that felt like, like like we said, John, a race happened. It did happen. 
mm-hmm. there's the important things happen within the race. There was some great strategy calls by a bunch of teams, including Ferrari. I want to give them their flowers, but they don't get all their flowers. I'm whole, I'm whole, it's like, I'm giving them a bouquet of flowers and taking one rose out and being like, you didn't earn all of them. You only get 11. <laughs> you only get 11. When you, when you do a good job, totally, you will get the full dozen roses. But for now you only get 11. Uh, what about you, John? What 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 was the rest of the race weekend looking I liked, like for you? I liked the uh, yellow accents on the Ferrari. I thought those were kind of cool looking and kind of felt like a little bit of like a throwback to a to an older school car. But I part of me wishes they just went full like yellow, like make the whole car hundred yes. percent yellow as a wild card. If you want to do something that's special, just go all in on it. And I'm kind of disappointed that like none of the teams seem to do like wild card liveries really and like even like they tease them and a few races back mercedes was looking at something similar and they were like a red mercedes because that would be the old school color scheme that they used briefly and instead it came out and it was like nah the tip of the wing is red the rest of well do you know do you know what that is do you know why this they're they're having to do that what what is it there's it's it's not just a weight saving john these are weight saving tactics that uh, they literally the paint weighs too much like that i love that that is still a thing in f1 where it's like oh yeah. we are literally we're trying to save weight so much that we are not putting that last coat of paint on the car because that adds 0.25 grams to the total weight yep. of the vehicle uh and we can't have that happen um there's also something interesting, uh, and I don't know the full history of it. Maybe we can like talk about it um, in the down weeks coming up here. But there used to be house colors. That's why uh, Ferrari mm-hmm. is red. That's why the Aston Martin is green. Uh, that's why the uh, the Mercedes is silver. Um, there were literally house colors, uh, and like before, there were sponsorship. Uh, logos all over every car that was one of the ways that they used to uh, identify the different cars was like oh each each team has its own like coat of arms or whatever and that was Mm -hmm. what they they badged their cars with so i would love to see that come back maybe next year after they've figured out this weight saving issue where they're like hey for one weekend we're just every team has to do their house colors and numbers and that's it no sponsorship logos uh, which would be the antithesis of F1. But but yeah, uh, so end of the race, we ended up with Max on the podium, uh, finishing strong. Charles ended up second. George was third. Uh, There's a beautiful picture of uh, Max getting interviewed at the very end, like confidently being interviewed by the, mm. the presenter. Uh, and George is kind of like milling about, looking off into the middle distance or like not at anything seemingly. Uh, and then there's Charles sitting down right in front of the step and repeat with Carlos's hand on his shoulder. And it's just such a funny like yep. image of like, yeah, this is this is it. This, we're looking at the season right now of Max being like, yeah, it was like a pretty good race. I think, uh, I think I crushed that. And George being like, yeah, where's the rest of my team? Where's, is, uh, is anybody else <laughs> here to help? And then Carlos and Charles is being like, I know we just got to get through this season. We just got to get through this season. <laughs> and you know, we're going to go out to TGI Fridays. We're going to have a great 
we're just gonna have like a girls night out it's a hard week we just got to get through this uh there was something very very funny about that um it's beautiful i love it yeah so uh was there anything i mean this is the italian grand prix so i'll leave it up to you if you if you'd like was there anything supremely british or supremely italian that you saw this past week johnny yeah and it would be the clashing of those two cultures in that as the race came to a close and the Italian fans were booing so loud that it could be heard from the International Space Station and the British commentators were just trying to like sort of daintily like ignore that it was even happening and and whatnot. Like occasionally you will see someone like during the interviews be like, hey, sounds like the crowd isn't with you, but you did good today. What do you have to say for yourself? You know, But instead, yeah. they're just like, ah, listen to that uh, passionate fan base here in Monza. Uh, it was so fun. Yeah, as soon as Max starts to get interviewed, you like hear the booze come through, and then mysteriously the audio, other than the mic, goes just, dead and there's like nothing behind it not even like oh Mm. let's immediately put crowd noise behind it but then they looped crowd noise where like you could hear one guy's specific yell happen at the end of the loop which is when i started texting you being like what am i losing my mind is there like a fit like they like immediately masked this with like a filter like what is happening i think i think i'm with you i think uh i think there's a 30% 30% chance there's shenanigans and, a, you know, uh, a 70% chance there's shenanigans, 30% chance it's just a conspiracy theory. But, like, I think there might be some funny business going on with the crowd sound effects being played during these broadcasts. Yeah, that just, that definitely makes me put my tinfoil hat right back on where I'm like, hey, are you piping in? You're clearly piping in crowd noise. But here's the thing is the crowd noise that they piped in at like a very critical moment of the broadcast was trash. Like it was such poor looping. F1 could quite literally fill a warehouse with people and have them cheer and then just figure out different ways to loop that. They could easily do that. They have that kind of funding. They could have people sign NDAs. And I mean, as a voice actor, that's something I would do. I'd be like, oh yeah, I'll go in there into like a warehouse and scream for a little while with a bunch of other people. And if you're going to pay me money, I'll never tell anybody ever that I ever did this. So it's weird that they're like doing it, but also not like going full bore and just being like, okay, yeah, let's make artificial noise that we can then pipe in to mask any unpleasantness let's say so it for me this was i love the italian fan base uh and seeing like one thing that was supremely italian was watching like every time a ferrari goes by like people running to the fence in like the general area where you can like get close Mm. to the track, just watching people like run to the fence was like such a beautiful thing that like you only really see at the Italian Grand Prix where it's like, those cars are going to come back around. You don't have to like sprint to the fence every time, but people were sprinting every time. Uh, And then it was mentioned last week and the week before during the contract review board assessment of Alpine and McLaren, the most British thing I have ever heard in my entire life, shilly-shallying. The term (laughs) shilly-shallying was actually used in like the official review 
of mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. that contract, which is so funny. I now want to. I haven't even bothered to look up what that means, uh, but I now want to see uh, what it is. And it's the immediate uh, definition is failed to act resolutely or decisively. And that is such yep. a like. Yep. That's, no, that's exactly, exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, that's exactly what Alpine did. They were accused of shilly shallying, uh, which like they could have just been like, you are accused of not acting resolutely or decisively in your contract negotiations. But instead, they use the term shilly shallying. It's just so supremely British. Uh, so shout out to F1 and all the presenters who continue to use that term. I hope it's now just a part of like the lexicon in F1 where people are just like, ah, they're shilly shallying about because that feels beautiful. All right, John, big question here. Tough question. Did Formula One stock go up this week? Did it go down or did it just kind of plateau? I think we stayed on a solid plateau this week, yeah. uh, which yeah. to me is in in the in a season where things are going up, that's almost the same as going down. And I think that's yes. just due to we had a race that was a little bit unexciting in general, but also ended with disappointment and frustration no matter who you were rooting for you didn't get what you wanted to what you almost got out of the race you did not get and that's uh that's crappy feeling and then on top of that because of uh russia being scrubbed from the calendar and rightfully so i think Mm -hmm. we're heading into what we've got two weeks or is it three weeks without a race I think we're back on the 30th is the race weekend. Yeah. So okay. we've got we've got two full weeks of of break, which makes sense too because this is a triple well, it's header. Basically it's it, it's basically three uh we're going to have yeah, we're going to have two weeks, two weekends away. Yeah. Uh from yeah. from racing. So that's almost like and coming, you know, I feel like we just got through the the four week summer uh, break. Summer break. Yeah. And now we've got like three weeks to, you know, kick kick the can around. So uh yeah. that, With, that to me is kind of a kind of a bummer, but hey. It is but better who, than better than racing in Russia. I was just gonna say who I'm so much happier that that we're not racing in quite literally a country that is like punitively shutting off the power grids of the country uh and the water lines of the country that they are currently mm-hmm. invading. So yeah, let's let's be grateful that we're not having to like talk about a Russian Grand Prix. Cause I do not want to talk about that. I would feel real, real gross in even giving it like publicity through doing a podcast. Uh, even though like this is, this is meaningless. Ultimately it still feels like uh, Oh yeah, we're okaying this. Uh, so I'm glad that F1 is not okaying it. Mm-hmm. I do. I do agree with you. I think that the stock plateaued. I think that we have hit kind of uh, a bit of a, not a boring race, but just a race that was not nearly as eventful and under-delivered. Under-delivered is the perfect way of putting it. Yeah. It fell short of expectations. It under-delivered. It wasn't like a bad race, but it was technically run the right way. And that is unfortunate because there is no real way of like, there's no way of saying it could have been done better. Two things to end this on. One, I think Ferrari forecasted the end of this race because they did go with the yellow throwback. And hey, you invited that yellow into this race, Ferrari, and oh boy, did it show up 
And then also, hey, at least we didn't get Max completely clinching the championship at Monza, which yes. I had said a couple of weeks ago, if there were a D- if there were double DNFs by Ferrari at any point in time, uh, or if there was a DNF yeah. by Ferrari, then that pretty much would have, especially if it was Charles, and we know it was going to be Charles, uh, if it was going to happen. Luckily, we didn't get that, but now, literally, Max, if there's like math mathematically max can win the championship uh at the next grand prix so that in addition to it being a bit of a plateau i think next race is going to be a tough one uh and it's a hot race which is trouble for ferrari and mercedes uh because they have trouble running at high temperatures so we really might see max like really lock it out next race so we'll see all right johnny where can the folks catch you online you can find me on twitter uh my handle's at johnny motion i'm there talking about all my things Corey, where can the folks find you you can catch me at burn Corey burn on the internet and uh also we have the f1 files on twitter and on reddit that you can interact with us on uh this was great it was great catching up with you. Uh, I had more fun catching up with you than actually watching the race, which is, oh, God, uh, unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. All right, folks, we will catch up with you next week uh, when it's, it's there's a down, there's some downtime, but we will catch up with you and you will catch up with us next time on the F1 Files. Mm-hmm.